The other day, Rach and I were looking, cleaning some stuff up and looking through old pictures and such, and I happened to run across, God help me, my old senior pictures from high school. <laughs> and I didn't think this idea would work. I thought this idea would be more metaphorical, but it's actually quite physical as well, that if you saw me in high school, I told Rach, you, I guarantee you'd never recognize me. Um, my hair was like, I don't want to say quite bright red, but uh, <laughs> redder than it is now, I'll say it that way. But, you know, a few weeks ago I talked about the idea of being stuck in the weeds and kind of losing the, the big picture of things for some of just the, the minutia of life that happens. Well, proverbially speaking, back then you wouldn't recognize me because I was most certainly stuck in the weeds on a lot of things. I was, um, even non-proverbially, I mean, I was 16, 17, 18. I had my share of issues I had to learn how to work through, you know. Your toolbox when you're in high school is only so, only so big to deal with life. Hopefully, as you get more along in years, the toolbox gets bigger and you have more options of how to deal with things that come up. But there's parts of my story, this idea that I've been kind of bringing up, both through my own doing, yes, I, I recognize it now, and some things that were not of my own doing, that I wish I could have written out of my story, just erased from my history. I was with, having dinner with a few friends the other day, and we were talking about you know, that old adage, if I knew then what I know now, how would things have been different? And would I choose to do things differently, or would I just choose to inform 16-year-old Brian, hey, you know what, if nothing else, hang in there. You're going to figure it out, even if it's 30 years later. There can be much about that that I'm not unique about. That as individuals, as communities, as families, sometimes there's just those episodes of life we wish we could write out of our history. That we could just leave on the cutting room floor. Welcome to being human beings. You know what? God's people had similar kinds of stories. That's stuff they wish they could write out. And as of the passage that I'm going to read, which is, I'm going to go to the book of Chronicles, which I think, and I look through um, my history in, in like almost 600 sermons, I think I've touched this book like this is a third time. So it's not one of those ones I go to very often and Least of all, you would think, for a, a New Year's message. But as of the passage I'm going to read, when I can say that in Jeremiah, God's people have been in exile, out of their land for two generations, about 70 years or so. And much of it, you know, at least with my story, as, as much as I own the parts of it that were, you know, my doing, some of it wasn't, well, a lot of their reason for exile was their own lack of faithfulness to God. But God said, alright, I'm going to use an anti-God character, King Nebuchadnezzar, who had no issue or no desire to, to honor God. I'm going to use him to put you guys in your place. As we saw in looking over Advent, God can use even those anti-God characters to fulfill the story that God's writing. 
And if that means using an enemy empire, God's like, all right, that's in my toolbox of things that I can use. And we see that, that kind of in this summary of First and Second Chronicles. And as I looked at it, as I said, I, I don't go to it very often, but as I started studying it as a whole, which really it was originally one book, we just happened to divide it into first and second. There's a lot of interesting literary stuff going on here. Stuff that offers hope to a people who have been out of their homeland for 70 years. You know, in our Bible, Chronicles, first and second, drops right about into the middle of the, the Old Testament here. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's right about in the middle. In the original, it's actually the finale. It's actually the last book. And it reads like you, you go through the, the two books in the second chapter, the second book's 36 chapters, so there's a lot to it. You know, like, I've read this stuff before. I've heard these stories before. I've heard these episodes before. Well, it's really a history of Israel's Old Testament life. As I said, it's the last book, so everything else has pretty much taken place. It's a history of God's people in one scroll. And it emphasizes the line of David. Which you read similarly in First and Second Samuel, which comes up, you know, obviously earlier. But we know, looking at various parts of the Old Testament, that the awaited Messiah would come from the line of David. You see in the story of how Mary and Joseph were chosen because of their lineage, so that the, the bloodlines would all be correct to fulfill the prophecies about who the Messiah was going to be. Hence the focus on David. But the author decides... The author of Chronicles decides he's going to highlight David as the image of the Messianic king. And you hear it in the, the passages or the, the places where David is resourcing the new temple that's going to get built, that had been destroyed earlier. Um, that he's getting the plans together. This good stuff that's happening. We don't hear about the stories that paint David in a bad light, and he certainly had plenty of them. This is a time when David actually gets that stuff written out of history, if you will. The stuff of him getting chased around by Saul, um, looking rather weak. The story of him uh, failing epically in his morality when he has the Bathsheba episode and the, the follow-up, the murder of her husband, Uriah. Um, that stuff doesn't, ha- doesn't occur in Chronicles. Not that, not that the author is trying to hide it. I mean, anybody can just go to the scrolls of Samuel and read those. And, oh, wait, there's a fuller story here. David didn't have... Uh, David wasn't always so perfect. But he wants to paint a picture of what that descendant Messiah is going to look like. Ezekiel says in his prophecy, he says, They shall live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob, in which your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children shall live there forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And we see... The Messiah being painted, if you will, as this new David. And the story continues as we see 
that none of the following kings that would come throughout Israel, throughout Judah's history, because we're focusing on the southern land here, were going to be the Messiah. When they did come, when he did come, he'd be like David. But, you know, so one author says that the stories of David's past helps to sustain the hope for their future. That's looking pretty 2021 at the moment. When it's, they've been in Babylon, well, most of us here would have been pretty much that's all we know. Was exile. Away from our homeland. You see the, the character studies of these kings that have, have come since. And you see the faithful ones that are having some kind of success, some kind of blessing. The unfaithful ones who are failing and running into hardship left and right. And why this kind of emphasis? Well, I've said in the past how story is so important to these people, to the, to the Jews. And the writer wants to, them to learn from their history. Learn from the 2021 stuff so that 2022 might be a little bit better. So they would choose to remain faithful. And you see it. You see the hope finally start to come up in the last couple of verses of the scroll. In Second Chronicles 36, 22 and 23. This is the last two verses of the scroll. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, yeah, now we're getting to a Persian king, in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up in the spirit of King Cyrus of Persia, so that he sent a herald throughout all his kingdom and also declared in a written edict. Thus says King Cyrus of Persia, The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Among you, whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his, may the Lord his God be with them, and let them go up. It almost just stops. Some commentators even said it's like an incomplete sentence of where the writing is going to stop. You know, it's kind of interesting that right about this time as well, um, we actually did it last week, but we talked about the three wise men, the three magi who happen to be also from Persia. These guys you never would have thought would have traveled being... 18 inches tall in our little activities. He traveled all the way from Syracuse to worship God. And now God is using a Persian king who you never would have thought would have cared to listen to what God had to say to overthrow Babylon. So now the evil empire is, is overthrown and God's people are kind of in a limbo. And the first thing King Cyrus says, is all of you, God's people, you can go home. You can go back to the land that God gave to your ancestors and their ancestors and their ancestors before them. Just as, it is, as had been prophesied in Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed, 70 years that they spent in Babylon, under exile, and I will... Will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Using King Cyrus of Persia 
to overthrow Babylon so that they would be freed and allowed to go back to the homeland that hopefully some of them knew about. Even better, he's given this edict to build the house, to rebuild the temple if you want to hear it that way. Hopefully they have learned from their past how to entertain a, a better future. So in this year, let me ask you this. What's the Babylon you need to be freed from? Maybe the part of 2021 that you wish could get written out or at least rewritten. Go through the edits. I get it. We want the new year to be the seven-day free trial with free returns if we don't like it. I've seen many things going on about that, phrased about that when 2021 came in, after 2020 had been uh, put in the garbage. But the world being what it is, what, could you, what would you need a King Cyrus to verbalize freedom for you? Maybe it's from a, a habit or a hurt. There's certainly many different ways that, that can, can play out or things that can fall under that. Maybe I want to offer you a few R's that can sort of help, to, help you to experience some of that hope. Experience some of that freedom as we go into 2022. To try and take an obscure book like Second Chronicles and turn it around into a New Year's message. See how we do here. R number one, remember. Here's that Jewish importance of story, of history that had been passed down from generation to generation, wrapped up in one word. Remember. As the psalmist says in Psalm 105, remember the wonderful works that He, the Lord, has done, His miracles, and the judgments He has uttered. I have a friend who often says, when somebody kind of comes to the impasse of um, wanting to be rid of the past and wanting to, to move on to hope in the future, he often uses the analogy that there's a reason the front windshield is bigger than the rearview mirror. But there's still something of value to that rearview mirror, little as it may be. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the past and what sustained us through it. So we can have some hope for the future. So how did God sustain you in 2021? How did God keep you on your feet? Out of the hospital. The fact is, we're all able to stand here. It puts us above probably about 90% of the people out there. God showed up somehow. And I realized... That, that doesn't answer the how that God's going to sustain us for 2022. But when it comes to the plans that God, or that Jeremiah writes about, when he says, um, you know, for I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope, sometimes our brains can only handle the fact that God will show up. That God sustains because if we tried to figure out the how, we'd be scratching our heads going like, God, you've got to be kidding me. Just like all the characters of Advent that we've studied. Like, God, you've got to be out of your mind to think I'm gonna, my wife's going to have a baby at 90 or you're going to use me at 15 or whatnot. 
Another R for us. Restart. Israel certainly had their lapses that they needed to learn from after Cyrus had freed them from official exile. The New Testament has its own similar stories. You know, it didn't, uh, things going wrong didn't just stop when the Old Testament ended. You got um, Zacchaeus, you got the woman at the well, you got Peter, you got Paul, just to name a couple of characters. And those are just the ones that made it into the Bible. I mean, despite, just taking one of them, despite his proverbial 2021, Zacchaeus restarts his life in Luke 19. Zacchaeus stood there in front of Jesus after being invited to his house, or Jesus inviting himself to his house, and said to the Lord, Look, half my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll pay them back four times as much. This is off a dude who made a living, made a mansion off of cheating people with taxes for an oppressive government. What in the world could have turned him around like that? Made him restart so much? I'm guessing because he found, experienced Jesus' love probably for the first time. And that same love that he offered to Zechariah, he offers to us. Whatever it was that our 2021 looked like. I'm going to give you one more here. Revelation. I wish... I wish we could just change things by turning the calendar. Get rid... You know, here's the, the previous month. Just put up the new month and all of a sudden it just blocks out everything from before. But hope lies not in a new year, but in a new age. And the writer of Chronicles outlines the future hope when he says, all the good that, that you saw in David and his descendants, it doesn't hold a candle to what the Messiah is going to be like. It's, it'd be a bond, that candle compared to a bonfire. Of what it's going to be like. For our day, as we await the second advent, you know, we, we celebrated the, the first advent and Christ's first coming. Well, the second advent is kind of another way of referring to the time that he comes back. Here, the hope that John gives in Revelation 21. Yeah, I mentioned it earlier in our assurance of pardon. I'm going to mention it now because it's just worth mentioning twice. He, the Lord, will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. Keep this in mind. The story that God is writing isn't over yet. God's own people spent generations in captivity. To the point where to hear about their original land, to hear about their home country, they probably would have had to go into the nursing home and try and find somebody who might have still been alive when they existed in Judah, in Israel. But God hasn't forgotten. And at the right time, God used Cyrus to share hope and a future for his people. And he offers his word, both in text and in son. In Jesus, to offer the same hope to you. Let's pray together.
Lord, thank you for, for not forgetting us. Even after 2020, even after 2021, you're still at work. So allow us to hang on to a hope in you. Hang on to what you are doing. That we might be able to experience abundant life in this year yet to come. You have decided to gift us with. All this we pray in your name. Amen.